guys, so the podcast is finally up and running. It's taking its time to get there, but here we are. It's all quite exciting, isn't it? Is that just me? Anyway, for my first episode, I'm joined by the delightful Sharon Sexton. Sharon's an award-winning actor and performer, originally from Ireland, but she's based in London just now. She's been in The Commitments and Billy Elliot, and it's recently been announced that she's joining the cast of the Meatloaf musical Bat Out of Hell, which is described as an epic rock and roll theatrical fantasy. It starts previews at Manchester's Opera House in February before heading to the London Coliseum in June. Sharon also produces her own work and co-runs a theatre company, Biscuits for Breakfast, with her husband. When we recorded this podcast, she was preparing to take our one-woman show, A Fit Wife, for a revolutionary about Kathleen Clark to Liverpool, and she'll be at the Smock Alley Theatre in Dublin at the end of November into December, so if you're around Dublin, do try and go and see it. We also talk about our show Somewhere Under the Rainbow, where she plays Liza Minnelli, and honestly, I urge you to Google Sharon Sexton Liza, because the resemblance when she's in costume is uncanny. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this podcast. It was so, so good to talk to Sharon, and here she is. How are you? I'm grand, thank you. We're doing the annual uh, booster check this morning. All so, right. And uh, yeah, it's fine. The dog is great, but the cat is like just getting her into that travel cage is like a fucking nightmare. (laughs) You get her in and then you get her to the vet. And then when you're like, right, it's time to come back home. She's having absolutely none of it. Oh, my auntie has a cat who um, bullies me quite badly. So my experience with cats hasn't been very, very good so far. Right, well, I'm actually not a cat person at all, but she found us about five years ago and she's stuck, and that's it now, so, like, we're hers. <laughs> I'm just checking to see if you can... I forgot to turn my radio off and David Bowie's playing in the background. I'm just checking to see if you can hear it. Yeah, hey, that's my, my doggy's thing. Oh, that's so cute. Uh, yes, yeah, it's my, 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 my masterpiece on the wall. I don't know if you can see him over there. I'm dying to get down to see that um, Lazarus. That looks amazing. Yeah. Don't, don't look nice. looks really cool. I know, and you've got Meatloaf as well, so you're just covering all the music legends now. Yeah, it is, yeah. I met him the other day, and he's really, like, chilled out. He's really normal, he's lovely, like, but he's just really um, humble, do you know what I mean? Aww. Just, like, like whole uh, Meatloaf persona is completely a persona, but he's so genuine, and he's real gentle, he's really, like, you know, God bless you all, and God bless this, and bless the look, and be kind to yourselves, you're like... That's not what I was expecting at all. Because <laughs> I heard that um, Prince was like that when people met him. He just kind of knew he was Prince and didn't didn't lay on that he was just a normal person underneath the purple suit. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, he, had, he was mad into his persona though, wasn't he? So tell us about this. What, how, how long are you doing it? The podcast. How long are you doing it? Um, I've mad on like, reality TV and celebrities, so it's kind of just covering the whole pop culture thing. Cool. Because um, me and my friend, we do a YouTube channel as well, where it's basically we just talk about like what's been happening in the celebrity world with the, the Kardashians and whatever. So um, oh, it's kind of just covering all that and some what I like to call highfalutin stuff as well. Ooh, I really would love to do more of that myself. It's just so hard to keep up. Yeah. I mean, like doing something like that, it's so immediate to turn around on it. Yeah. It's gotta be on it, record it, shoot it, edit it, cut it out, and it has to be, like, done. I have loads of great ideas, but I just sit on my couch and 
<laughs> oh, I'm the worst for that. I come up with an idea and I'm like, oh, I'll write it down. And then as soon as I come to writing it down, it's gone. I can't yeah. think of words to actually form on a bit of paper. But in my head, it sounds amazing. Yeah. What is it? Are you rehearsing um, a fit wife just now? Yes, I'm rehearsing for that at the moment. And when I say I'm rehearsing, what I mean is I'm starting rehearsal for tonight and oh. on Sunday and I haven't done it in six months. That'll <laughs> be fun. But that's the thing, you always have to like wear different hats, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so at the moment I'm selling tickets and I'm doing PR and I'm doing marketing and I'm doing the production side of things. And more our chefs get our, our set is getting shipped across because we're going to Ireland. So I'm organising all of that and then I'm going, God, I see the show. I see the play, right? Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm back it. So yeah, so I'm going to start, I'm starting to focus on that now today, actually, as soon as I finish talking to you, I start getting my lines back down and then I've got a session with the director for three hours. Even. Is it the kind of thing, coach, you've already done it, you can slip back in or are you the kind of person that as soon as you're done a production, the lines are just away and you need to relearn everything? No, they're in there somewhere, with the difficulty, and they definitely are in there somewhere, and I'm a big, like, I will record it, uh, then I did a video of it and then I'll get the video and just rip the MP3 off it and I'll just walk around listening to it and becoming really annoyed with all the things I did wrong on my performance. The only thing with it is because I wrote it, you know when you're writing something mm-hmm. that like changing the structure all the time or like, you know, cutting bits out and then bits go back in and so I couldn't really sit down to learn it until it was about four days before we opened where I went, like, that's it. That's the final cut. That's the script. Which was fine. But, uh, because it's all, I wrote it all, all of that is in the back of my head as well. So I'm kind of going, oh, God, did I cut that? Did I did I make that? Did I not change that? So that's the tricky bit I'm finding at the moment. And the good yeah. thing is, though, it's a one woman. So if you decide to change a line, no one else is affected. Yeah, true. But, like, that effect could be me standing on stage going, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the director would be affected because he'd be on me like a ton of work. Definitely. I'd done um, a play, was it two years ago? And we'd done that thing that we just couldn't, there was four of us in it, and we just couldn't learn the lines at all. So we'd done the, um, just sitting around doing a line run and recording it on our phones to listen to. And listening to it back, I didn't realise how much we laughed and just spoke absolute rubbish. I didn't learn a thing. It was just us like going you. off in tangents and just laughing at absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's about um, Kathleen Clark, because you've done it for the Easter Rising. Yeah, that's right, yeah. The centenary there in March of this year, so it was 100 mm-hmm. years. And they had a big... Uh, Lots of celebrations at home, and actually quite a lot of celebrations in London as well, yeah. with the arts community over here, I and mean, in all of England. They really threw loads at it, and it was great. But um, there was kind of a, I don't know, you may be familiar with the Waking Feminist Movement that started yeah. in Ireland. Like, that was a big backlash because the Abbey Theatre came out, and they had 10 plays that they were putting on for the centenary celebrations, and there was only one of them that had been written by a woman, and only one of them that had been directed by a woman. So that's kind of what sparked off the whole thing. So um, it's going to be really nice to bring this home because I wrote it and I'm in it, obviously, and it's a female perspective on things. And uh-huh. there's so much to talk about, like the heroes and the signatories and the men who went out to fight, which is all, you know, they deserve all of the uh, attention and stuff that they get. But, like, there is no perspective, like most things in history, of, like, female perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, for that reason, we were like, right, let's have a look and see what we could write about. And I was going to actually write about four or five different women and then I came across her memoirs and she is just like, she is my new hero. She is just <laughs> the most amazing 
woman. I was like, I have to just do her. I have to focus on her. Just have to tell her story because it's incredible. So yeah, I'm really excited about bringing her home. Hopefully it'll go down well. I know, because you're taking her on a little tour as well. So she's yeah, getting to travel. And that's where she actually she passed away in Liverpool. So she oh, really? was an Irish patriot and then she spent the last years of her life in Liverpool. And son, so we're going up there with it on Sunday, this Sunday, which will be cool. Yeah. Is that a bit terrifying or are you just excited about it? It's terrifying because it's the first one I've done and it's really hard when you get into a venue and you do a show on the same day. Because I've never been there, do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So it's getting in and trying to assess the room and trying to figure out what we can do with, like, you have to kind of cut your cloths, do you know what I mean, to mm-hmm. suit what you've got. So I'm kind of going, okay, I've no idea. So for that point of view, it'll be, uh, it'll be a bit like being shot out of cannon for me from a performance point of view. Oh, you know. <laughs> you're a pro. No, we just have to do it. You just act as if you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because it was, was it the London Irish Inn? Are you done it in for um, in the London run? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did it up there. We did it in a little chapel up there, which is like a 70-seater little um, venue. And it was just gorgeous. We oh. actually went back to the festival there last month because it's a perfect studio and they don't really use it. Uh-huh. And when we went in to the venue, they had like a massive room and they had another smaller space. And... Uh, for a one woman show I was like oh I don't want to be playing to 200 people do you know what I mean yeah. and they went well do you have this little chapel upstairs and we saw it and we went oh my god it's perfect so we went back there and we did a short play festival last month so we had six short plays with loads of different actors and writers and directors and we staged it there for four nights it's a magic little place actually suddenly was it all um, was it all new writing like in a scratch night type thing yeah yeah it was we, um, they were all 15 to 20 minute plays yeah so it was great it's always good when it all comes together. It's a nightmare to organise, but then it's all worth it at the end when you're drinking at the bar. Ah, yeah, so it was nice. At the end, we were able to have that kind of, wow, this was a, these are ideas in people's heads. It's always cool, and it's like, you know, I always think it's something like somebody had, like, sitting over a glass of wine somewhere, just, do you know what would be a really good idea for a play? And there it is people are enjoying it mad but then when you're the producer as well you have to do the get out and that's the worst part <laughs> <laughs> you're like congratulations everybody have a drink now excuse me get out of the way and I take down all these lights <gasps> I know yeah. having to rely on just you is so much work but it is the thing is until you get funding or until you've got money coming in like you kind of have to just do it really hard to keep the energy up and to try and keep motivated to to do it all but like there's a you know when you're can't pay people you, you you've just got to wear every hat like and yeah. just make the work because i was reading you know? this um one of those articles about how there's no working class actors anymore and someone suggested oh, everyone should just go out and make their own work but saying something like that is so much easier said than done because when it actually comes to making your own work there's so much to take into consideration completely but there's even so much expense like yeah I mean, my husband's run the theater company together but like we um both work we both teach we both teach drama we both students for gcsm gcc lambda exams and stuff and we do that, and that's fine. But, like, that literally funds our company. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're constantly you're constantly robbing from your work to pay for a production, and then you wait for the box office of that to come in before you can do the next one. And if you don't if you don't start in a position where you have that spare cash, which is, thank God, what PDM gave me, 
Thanks, Billy. <laughs> when I was able to go, okay, I can put some money aside and actually start producing stuff. If you, if you don't have that to start with, you're finished. Everything exactly. That is just so hard to, if you don't have like, a wealthy background or something, to, or Ooh. someone that you know in the industry already to sort of give you a step up, it's... Yeah, it's practically take, impossible. You don't take chances. It's really hard, and we found that as well. It's like if you don't have funding, people go, "Why don't you have funding?" Yeah, and then they won't give you a deal, or they won't give you a risk. So you're constantly having to like prove yourself. So it's kind of uh, exhausting, but you know. And trying to get funding is nearly impossible as well. Let's see, trying to contact people for funding and the application forms are just. It takes about a week to fill one out. You know, yeah. And then you don't ever really get anywhere. You know, you're, you're a drop in the ocean. Yeah, it's hard. And then there's all this funding stuff for niches. And you're like, yeah, I understand why the funding is there. And it has to tick the boxes. Like it has to deal with, you know, certain things that are topical or it has to work in community aspects or it has to be whatever. So if you don't fit into that kind of niche, you don't tick those boxes. Yeah. Again. And then you're like, well, if I want to work this hard on something and throw myself into it, I want to make something I want to make. That's it ticks boxes, do you know? Is that what you'd like to do eventually? Just do all your own work? Oh no, I love doing it. Like, I love singing, I love musical theatre. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. It's the best platforms out there. One of the hardest, like, definitely is. But um, I, get, I do get a massive buzz out producing, so I'd love to try and maybe do both. So, we'll see. I don't know how practical that is, but, you know, be nice. Um, I'm eventually going to win the £100,000 off this morning competition and just do everything I want to do. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I keep saying and I find myself saying it in recent months, I'm like, I think I wanna I, I keep going, I wanna venue. I would love to have a space. I just I would love to I think if I won the lotto, I think that would be the first thing I'd do. I'd just buy a big venue and just be like, Okay, I can run my production company out of here, I can stage a musical in here, I can teach some students over here. And, uh, yeah, I can have coffee mornings here <laughs> at an office. And I'm like, oh, I would just, I'd love a space to create work. Like, I really would. So I think, ultimately, if, uh, yeah, if that would be, like, the ridiculous long-term goal. Yeah. Then it would just run itself and I could go off and work in musical theatre and be very happy. Exactly. Best of both worlds. Yeah. You were talking about Billy Elliot as well, and that's a show that I love. Cause were you the last cast in London? Yeah. Oh, Have you seen the tour yet? No, I haven't. They started while we were in uh, town still, and then they went off miles away, so I haven't had a chance to see them, so I'm hoping uh, to try and catch it somewhere. I was hoping to go over to Dublin and catch it, but mm-hmm. it's happening over the summer. So, uh, yeah, they're still going. Yeah, it's doing amazing. I love Billy Ellie. It's one of my favourite shows. Yeah, it's such a good show. Such a good show. I loved it. I was doing a workshop. I was actually teaching a workshop at the weekend, just a three-hour workshop with students. Uh-huh. Um, on Billy Elliot, it's not weird teaching the beginning of the music and the lyrics again, but you just go, oh, this is such a special show. Mm-hmm. So, it's a special show, it's great. And the costumes yeah. are ridiculous. I love a perm wig, I live for a perm or a mullet. Oh man, I can't escape the mullet. I'm dying to see what my wig's gonna be like for Bad Out of Hell because I started in the commitments, and of course, that was Dublin mullet. <laughs> Billy Elliot was 80s afro mullet hilarious parent pain and uh, now I'm going into Bad Out of Hell and I'm like are they going to stick it in like the 80s? Yeah that's what I was going to say do you know where it's set yeah? It's set in a post-apocalyptic I can't even say it hang on post 
apocalyptic apocalyptic no, I know the word you mean apocalyptic there we go <laughs> the first apocalyptic apocalyptic world and uh, that's all I know that uh, it's kind of um, I think it's American accents so it's, uh, I don't think it's specifically anywhere so when I was reading about it, I, um, I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't just Meatloaf show or Meatloaf story on stage because then you could have had a share. Yeah, yeah. Which would have made my whole life because I'm still holding out for the share musical to happen and I don't know why it hasn't yet. Yeah, I'm sure it will, you know. It must eventually. Yeah. Probably be a drag queen playing her though, like probably some like massive, amazing, fabulous, like, <laughs> sequence share. To be honest, I'd be absolutely fine with that. If it couldn't be me playing Cher, then I'd be fine with a drag queen playing Cher. (laughs) So you've done the commitments as well. Was that like when you moved to London or were you you based in London already? No, no, I was based in Ireland and we had quite a nice setup in Ireland. We were running our company and I was working in musical theatre over there. But the musicals in Ireland tend to not run more than like maybe six to eight weeks would be your longest run. Yeah. Maybe ten if you're lucky if it was a big national tour. But after that, there's not really the audience of the industry to kind of sustain it longer than that. So it was constantly, it was a lot of work. It was great, but it was constantly short-term gigs. And um, I always wanted to get over here and then just got to a stage in my life. I went, I'm too old and I'm too tired to actually move over to London and start from scratch. And if we ever go, we'll only go when one of us already has a job. And I remember people going, look at that. Like, you know, you've got to go over and rough it and wait tables and do all this stuff. And I was like, oh, God, I'm so old and I'm married and I have a house and I have a business. And I'm not, I'm not interested in doing that. So I'll just keep flying over and back and hope I get something that will make me move. And then the commitments happen. So it was like, yeah, great, done. On ferry, dog, cat, husband, the whole lot. And of all the shows to get to move to London, being from Ireland anyway, the commitments was probably the best one to get yeah, it was. It was great. And it was nice because there was about seven or eight of us that all moved over together. So, and we all kind of, because the industry at home is very small, we all kind of knew or knew of each other. So, it was, uh, I didn't feel like I was away from home at all, really, actually, for the first six months because it was just like, we just relocated. To yeah. Because, is it not crazy. like 99% of the cast or something was Irish? Uh, I actually don't think it was that high, you know. It was, um, was about... Maybe, yeah, yeah, it was about a third of the cast, I'd say, was Irish, or half the cast, maybe, but uh, the rest of them were English, with some very good and some very dodgy. Irish <laughs> I've seen it, and um, it's like, my favourite book and my favourite film, so I was so excited to see it, but just through being skint, I couldn't get to see it until this second year, so it was after the first cast change. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, me and my auntie went down, and... We'd already been drinking on the train on our, um, our ticket. We got a free drink, so we were a bit tipsy by the time we got to see it. But I think that's fine for a show like The Commitments. I think it welcomes tipsiness. Sure, like, commitments better. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of it, like, the last 20 minutes of the show is just epic. It's amazing. It's like all these, uh, it's just, you know, the big mega mix. Yeah. All the hits. And, like, by that stage, sure, like, the crowds were mental and we used to have Sunday shows and it was particularly on a Sunday evening you could tell people who had had their whole day off <laughs> we're going to for a roast we're going to get a few pints we're going to go in and see commitments tonight and like by Sunday night it was like Wembley it was insane but uh, yeah it totally works because I went to see it on a Thursday and I've 
I always have really bad luck when it comes to audiences and shows. And it was me and my auntie sitting beside... We were at the end of a row and there was two old people sitting beside us who were just not enjoying themselves at all. And um, there was a big row of... I think they were German. They were not from... They weren't English anyway. And I don't think they could understand a thing that was happening. Wow. So me and Manny were up at the end. We try a little tenderness. Like, yeah, come on. Like, dancing away and singing and waiting for the mic to come to us for Mustang Sally, which didn't happen. Still offended. And um, <laughs> this group of Germans were just like, absolutely looking so confused, clapping their hands. Because the accents, because it was so authentic, the accents were so strong. And it was so fast as well. Like, yeah, it's it such a fast-paced show. It wasn't a very dialogue-heavy show, so you'd literally have line, 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 line. What happened? Changing the plot, removing somewhere else. Who? Yeah, it would be... <laughs> the language as well. The language was really harsh when they started. They took it out after the first few weeks. Probably still pretty bad when you've seen it next year, but that was the changed-down version of it. In uh, They wanted it to be really authentic, and the language in the film is obviously like very full-on. Mm-hmm. very And... Uh, they uh, wanted to leave us like that and then um, they were like no 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 we want it to be harsh we want it to be real we want it to be authentic and then it came to half term and uh, every other show in town was packed except for us and they were like okay maybe we should take out some language and it's like yeah let's drop the C-bomb maybe out of the second scene and maybe you know James out of it were people getting a little bit offended by it? oh I'm shocked like pure shocked it was oh, I don't blame them as well you know I don't know if it's because I'm from Glasgow or just because how I've been brought up. It's just like swearing is just such a normal part of life. I'm shocked that people are still offended by it, but I suppose yeah, me too. that people are just still brought up differently and exposed to different things. Because I've just, like, my little brother's 16 and he's just always swore it's like not even an issue. It's just yeah. like party is vocabulary now. Same as well. I don't, I don't, I don't bat an eyelid about it, um, really. But I do find people get a lot more offended over here than uh, I was expecting. I didn't realise how much I swore actually until I moved to London, and then I went, "Oh God!" Uh, <laughs> I can see people flinching when I'm speaking. I'm like, I don't even realise I'm dropping it in. It's just an adjective, as far as I'm. Sometimes it's just all you need to get to the point. Yeah. Exactly, and then of course, Billy Elliot is the same. The language in that is so funny, the little kids swearing, it makes it much more innocent. You know? <laughs> the first time I've seen it, and it was like the little, little kid swearing, and I was like, yeah, this is hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't do this without asking you about Liza because when I, mean, I was looking up, I call it research, but it's really stalking. And honestly, it was it was in depth. It's mad when you see the pictures of you in the wig and the lipstick because looking at you now, you don't. I wouldn't see Liza, but then yeah, you put yeah. on the wig and the lipstick, and it's uncanny. It's so strange. Yeah, it's mad. I see it myself. It's actually really weird. Like I. Uh completely didn't see it at all and I was doing a play where I looked kind of like her uh-huh. and I had a wig on and uh, somebody was like you should do like Manelli you should totally do like Manelli you should do cabaret and I was really and then my friend did me up she was like a, a makeup artist and she's a hairdresser and she uh, is a stylist and she went I want to do a look like album so would you come in as Liza and she did that and I was even myself was going wow, this is really weird. So uh, <laughs> I asked that, like, okay, let's see if she's got a decent little story. And she does. Her life is amazing. Yeah. Gillian just went off and went, I'm going to write something. And I went, okay. That was that. Because that was another one woman you'd done. Do you like, you just like being on stage yourself with all the attention on you? 
just like being on my own. I don't really like working with people. <laughs> no, it's just the easiest way to not have to manage other people's times and schedules. Like, I want to make something fun. I'll just do it on my own. But yeah, no, um, that one's totally different because it's singing. It's a musical. So mm. It's kind of like you've got monologues, but then people, I think, kind of relax when they hear a song, especially because they know it. My, most of our songs are massive famous ones we do in the show. And even if they don't, they can kind of chill out and go, Ah, music bit now, I can have a drink. So I really enjoy doing that because I enjoy the singing part of it, which is really easy for me to put. But uh, doing a play is just hard. It's just hard. It's hard. It's way yeah. harder. It's you don't have that break. See, for me, singing those big songs, I know it's funny. I know other people have said to me, like, I would totally do like that, the play, but like, God, the songs, having to sing that many songs would stress me out. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like a break for me. Or I switch off my brain and go, Oh God, no, I just get to sing for two and a half minutes. It's fine. Is that where you're comfy, just booting out the big songs? Yeah, it's fine. It's great. It's fine. Easy, so. The dialogue is there. Uh, it's tricky, yeah. Was it hard to get her voice as well? Because she's got such one of the distinctive voices that as soon as you hear her, you know it's her. Yeah, I can do. Her speaking voice took me a while. Uh-huh. But I kind of go, I, I don't, I try not to imitate her too much in the singing. Uh-huh. Uh, because I suppose... From a technical point of view, I don't want to destroy my voice. <laughs> but, no, but there's also um, there's sounds that she makes, so I can kind of hook onto them, like her eshes and her stuff like that, which yeah. I get out singing, which is fine. Um, but uh, her speaking voice was really hard to crack, especially when you see her as well. Like I did so much research, i.e. stalking, when I was researching her, and like in all of her interviews, it's just the same answers she gives all the time like it's really weird yeah. it's like, it's, she's so on and her voice is sings on me and it's the exact same so I was like with dialogue that Killian had written I was like oh my god how am I going to make this sound like this that was actually really tricky yeah it's got it's own rhythm now so hopefully I'll get to dig her out again she's gone away now for a little while because obviously I'm going to out of house so that'll be a year and a bit so I'm hoping to try and maybe dig out a Sunday night performance somewhere I like to try and keep it fresh do you know that kind of way yeah it's such a good show. I love doing it. So you could always do a sequel and just have Liza and David Guest's wedding as the the big showstopping number. Yeah, we could do like a dinner night or something where they could be at the wedding, and I could be like the cabaret for <laughs> their wedding dinner. Have a Michael Jackson floating about, a Martine McCutcheon as a bridesmaid in the corner. Was my team a about it? Yeah, that that's like probably one of my favourite stories. That they, they met. She? At a, yeah, she was on the cover of the OK magazine. It was mad. It was. Oh, um, like, I read it was. Had she met Liza once at a charity dinner or something? And Liza was like, "You need to cut me my wage, and you can be a bridesmaid." And then one meeting later, then Martin McCutcheon's on the cover of the OK magazine with a bridesmaid dress and bouquet. That is absolutely <laughs> not You'd so, think of all the famous people Liza Minnelli must know to have Martin McCutcheon as one of your chief bridesmaids. Yeah, think about how much she must hate them all to have Martin McCutcheon as a chief bridesmaid. <laughs> Stranger. That is crazy. <laughs> and um, Michael Jackson as a best man. I mean, it must have been some way, didn't it, go to? Yeah, it would not. It'd be great flying to be on that, flying that wall, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd assume they'd have a free bar, which is always a plus at a wedding for me. Yeah. Or at least a few free drinks. Yeah, sorry. Who David Guest? Yeah. Uh, was it earlier on this year? Well, this, this year's fine. 
I know this year's insane because... No, I think it was earlier on this year because he was in Big Brother at the very start of the year. Oh, and there was the oh, whole David's oh. dead thing when it was actually David Bowie that had died. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just before I finish, I just have to ask you about your little comedy double act thing you've got going because when oh. I was doing my, my stalking, let's not oh, joke, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I was watching some of your YouTube videos and some of them are hysterical, but at the same time, you're kind of doing the whole... Going down the whole political route as well with your songs. Yeah. Kind of can't help it. Like, it's just, that's what I was saying to you. I have so many ideas of, like, I would love to do something like that, like a YouTube channel about, this is what's current and this is what's happening and this is, because I, I seem to be just getting grumpier as I get older and I'm like, things annoy me every day. <laughs> so that's my way now of channeling it, of like, instead of giving out about it, I'm going to go, myself and Marina are going to write a really positive song and just get her, take across in a really nice, entertaining way. At the same time, going, yeah, yeah. They weren't intended to be political, really. But uh, yeah, we like them to have a bit of bite, definitely. And there's so much happening now that you talk about and write about anyway that you may as well. Yeah, totally. I'm not sure. It's funny though, because like it, they've gotten darker the more we've kind of the braver we've gotten, the <laughs> more the material has gotten kind of darker and a little bit edgier. And I'm like. Oh gosh, I don't, I, I'm not that I'm worried about putting that stuff out there, but because I'm not, because it's how I feel about everything, but I suppose it's a, it's a risky thing when you're like a performer, do you know what I mean? Yeah. To like have such a strong political stance on stuff, and then I'm like, oh well, at the same time, I wouldn't be true to myself if I didn't. I like, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be the kind of person that will just go, oh, I don't really have anything to say about that, because uh, things matter too much, do you know yeah. what I mean? So uh, if we could put a comedy spin on them and make them a bit entertaining, that's kind of what we're doing. We have so many things that annoy us. <laughs> that we want to write about. We have so many half-started songs. So uh, hopefully now we're going to try over the next few months, once I have out of how it gets up and running and focused and working on that. Yeah. On the west of the road or whatever, I'll be able to be able to write back and forth and stuff. Because I was watching, was it your last one that was the Girl Code one? That was all about the rape culture and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Because that's so important right now. Because there was the, um, did you watch that documentary that was on the other night? Louise O'Neill done, the Irish author? Yeah. That was brilliant. It was. It was just so, like, you know, I think she tackled so much in it. Uh Uh-huh. That people were a bit, kind of, they don't know how to, to swallow it all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think, especially in Ireland, I don't think people realise that it's an issue at all. So to see so many sides of it, I think everybody is trying to wrap their head around it. But I think it was a brilliant conversation starter, definitely. And that's why we put out that video. We had written that like during the summer. We never did anything with it. We went, oh, here, look, we should stick this out now and just, uh, you know, give our support or whatever because it's such a topical issue at the moment, totally. The next one you do, you better make sure that you've got your shoulders bared because... God forbid someone should, someone sees a shoulder on telly. Insane. I was going to do it for you today. I was like, maybe I might do this whole Skype interview with like... <laughs> slap a shoulder. Slap a shoulder, yeah. <laughs> that was ridiculous when people... Was it a review in the paper said she had her shoulders and a plunging neckline? Is it like so? So I think it was in a kind of a... Well, we obviously can't take her seriously and anything she says if she's dressed like a slut. Yeah missing that point exactly yeah here's another one now I was going to say hello and goodbye to you are you talking to me again no she's gone 
Absolutely hated it. <laughs> she fell out with you? Yeah. Oh. Well, I'll let you go and try and make friends with her again. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank, Thank you so much for doing this. Not all. Bye. Say goodbye, Bowie. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much. There we go. And yes, Marty McCutcheon was indeed Liza Minnelli's bridesmaid. Favourite celebrity fact ever. Thank you so much for listening. Sharon's always got something on, so keep up with her by following her at Sharon Sexton I-R-E for Ireland. And you can follow me at I am Heather H. I am gagging for followers. I am a hoot on Twitter and don't have the followers to represent that. So please follow me. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe and maybe leave a wee little review. Just a teeny little one. It's so appreciated and I'll be back again with another fabulous guest very soon. 